Welcome to the Big Dog Crypto Podcast. This is your number one crypto podcast to hear directly from the movers and shakers, innovators and disruptors in the cryptocurrency industry. Follow on Twitter for updates and to communicate directly at Wolf Big Dog. That's at Wolf Big D-A-W-G. Now, now, here is your host, the one and only Big Dog Crypto. And welcome to the latest episode of the Big Dog Crypto Podcast. I am your host, Big Dog Crypto. Gabor Gerbex on the show. Man, I finally got you. How are you doing? Hey, great, great. Good to, have, good to talk with you and uh, fun to hang out. Well, look, I appreciate it. I know you and I have interacted on Twitter for several years now. Um, <laughs> I love your account. I enjoy it. Enjoy your content. Uh, I always like to ask, really, the first question of any guest, because I'm, I'm genuinely interested, how did you get into crypto? And, and also, specifically, do you remember the first time you heard about Bitcoin? Like, like, like what you were doing when you first heard about it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I got into crypto um, via Bitcoin and there was no crypto um, at that point of time. So um, got into Bitcoin in 2011 and was uh, doing research uh, at the Budapest Technical Institute. And uh, th there was a group of students um, who were there uh, to learn. Basically, some of them failed their classes and so they had to go there for summer study. And I hung out with them uh, and one of the guys brought up like Bitcoin mining. And uh, and so I learned uh, via that group that summer. And um, I was uh, interested in it ever since. And obviously, over time, uh, I ramped up my engagement. And uh, uh, after 2011, exchanges have been built. And uh, yeah, so I was interested uh, in the space and, and got, got into the Bitcoin mining aspect of it in 2011, when you could actually mine from your desktop and uh, you could... Um, your desktop computer or laptop computer and you could actually earn something like a you know 50 bitcoin block reward as a normal person obviously it wasn't worth that much and uh, there was still competition at that time but uh definitely different times so you've been i mean you've been over 10 years that's that's wild that's uh you're one of the longest i know that's been in it and i and i say that because you know learning about the space you know i've been in a few years myself and you talk about actually you just could actually bring a question up because I'm interested now because of the fact you've been in for so long. Um, it's interesting that people that have gotten in, whether it's myself or other people, you know, a few years ago, uh, always say, "Oh, I wish I had been in in 2011, 2012." I've said to those people that you know say, "Oh, I wish I had gotten a bunch of Bitcoin for a penny, whatever." I said, "Then this is my theory, and I've read this before that um, <laughs> some, maybe lost." their computers had they had it or let's say they had it at a penny and it went to 10 cents and they sold it so because you are and i don't think i've had anybody that's been in since 2011 um i gotta ask you i mean what was like i mean i wasn't gonna get bitcoin price i want to ask you your future prediction but what was the price <laughs> of started or did it even register yeah just a few bucks and the uh you're right most people actually lost um their wallets like people didn't take bitcoin seriously it's, it was one of those cool at least you know hungarian students and eastern europeans tend to pay around, play around with a uh, few things and it was, it was just one of those few things people didn't really invest serious amount of money in it and you know we were poor students too so we we're just interested in mining and looking at websites and you could get you know one to five bitcoin through faucets and uh and so that you know that was interesting and um probably one of the most interesting experiences was um how bitcoin trading and commerce worked um so one of the guys uh, from the group, um, also a Hungarian guy who I, I will not name, um, was uh, very interested in uh, buying Bitcoin because mining was just like, a little bit burdensome. And uh, 
So he wanted to purchase Bitcoin. So you um, looked around and found uh, a Romanian guy who was uh, selling Bitcoin. So how would you buy Bitcoin in 2011? So the process was that uh, basically um, we got a, a public key, like here's the address for Bitcoin, send us um, literally a Western Union transfer for, for, for money and we'll email you the private keys. Uh, and uh, and actually email, they ended up physically mailing uh, the, the private key, but that was, that was Bitcoin trading. And uh, you know, after that, um, Two exchanges were built, uh, Bitstamp and BTCE, later Bit Bitfinex. And so uh, trading has, and Mongox, obviously, but trading has become a little bit more um, sort of uh, streamlined and <laughs> definitely not sending sort of emails and snail mails in exchange for, uh, <laughs> for Bitcoin, yeah. I mean, so you, once again, you're bringing up something. There's another question that that, that kind of dovetails off that. You mentioned Mongox. There was... Um, some news that it was making the right way. Twitter, crypto Twitter, and I always say crypto Twitter is a, is a very big community. It's like a family. And everybody with the other day was saying, oh, the, the Mt. Gox coins are going to be released uh, first thing Monday morning. So I, nobody seems to really know. Is is there any news on that? Or do you think, or have you heard anything on that? Or has anything been published publicly on that? Yeah, so publicly, the what's um, what we know is um, basically that um, some of the uh, some of the people who lost Bitcoin will be rehabilitated, rehabilitated in Bitcoin terms. So some of the Bitcoins will be um, paid out, and you know, obviously, the question is whether that's going to flood the market. Um, you know, I don't believe so. Um, can't remember the total amount, but something like 120, 130,000 Bitcoins. So it's a pretty significant amount of Bitcoins. But what um, happened actually is that a lot of those claims have been sold to larger companies before uh, for you know a fraction of what they are worth today. A lot of the um, people who are holding like who are who lost Bitcoin will not sell it because they are long term and uh, ever ever since they lost their coins they bought new ones and so the long term people. So I don't think. Uh, compared to the current volume of Bitcoin, I don't believe it's going to be a significant impact uh, on the market. And if there is selling, it's not going to be uh, all at once. And uh, I, I think even uh, maybe a few hours of Bitcoin trading um, could uh, absorb all the liquidity that from, from those coins. Like less than, I think the coins that are available, um, if they are, let's just say they were sold, um, they were that's much less than a single day of uh, volume in bitcoin so from an impact perspective you know that that's not too much and bitcoin is way more liquid today than you know even five years ago definitely uh, more than 10 years ago <laughs> look, yeah. no doubt i mean it, it, absolutely and that brings up like like we're saying i mean people like to worry i mean people worry about stuff and it starts making the rounds um you know the market being the bear market perhaps near in the end don't know where we are exactly i'd say New people in the space, and I get a lot of new people that listen to the podcast that are trying to learn about crypto. And I always want to, you know, because I feel like I've got to try and get some of the best guests, you know, in the industry that know stuff. You've been here 10 plus years, 11 years, so you know it. You've seen the markets, you've seen the Bitcoin obituary, right? Time and time again, it always dies. Uh, to new people listening to the podcast who are stressing because, you know, let's say they bought it at 60 something thousand in November, and it's, hey, it's a third now. What would you tell them? I, to, to be patient. Um, first of all, I would um, I would say that the Bitcoin markets and generally crypto markets have gotten ahead of themselves. Um, 
after the 2017, so what, what we're seeing right now is basically prices are uh, back to uh, 2017 levels around sort of when the ETH ICO and the ICO boom happened on Ethereum. Uh, so I think since then, a lot of projects were pushing up the prices of the market. New coins have been issued and people were exchanging those coins, buying Bitcoin. And a lot of those projects actually have gone bankrupt. And so they were selling and selling and trying to get cash out of it. So in my opinion, the market's actually just renormalized from the ICO boom past five years. And the ICO boom was a mistake. Uh, and it has suctioned out uh, mind space and energy and assets from what could have gone into Bitcoin. And uh, so today, Bitcoin's market capitalization is about roughly $380 uh, billion. I think that's too small for Bitcoin. Uh, in my opinion, Bitcoin will compete with gold long-term from a market capitalization perspective, which is $11 trillion. It wouldn't be inconceivable for Bitcoin to be a three, $5 trillion asset in the next 10 years. So I think there's you know 10 to 20x potential uh, for Bitcoin, and, and that's what I'm positioning myself to. I could be wrong, and obviously, um, you know, this is not uh, financial advice, but th that's the comparison that I'm using. Uh, gold's market cap is one indicator. If Bitcoin takes a 30, 50% chunk of it, then we can see a $5 trillion asset pretty simply. So so kind of mentioning that as far as the current uh, regulatory environment, um, you know, Gary Gensler, I wasn't too familiar with him before. I mean, I had heard of him, but a little bit. But then before he became um, head of the SEC, I, I started watching some of his videos at MIT. And I tell you, it's been a while since the <laughs> university since I watched college videos. I mean, I was amazed at how well he knows the space. He understands the space. He is excited about it. It just, I'm like, this guy understands, you know, understands the cryptocurrency industry. So then he moves into his role as a regulator. Now, as we all know, in any regulatory agency, um, you know, you, you do what a regular, uh, what, what a, a head of the agency does, right? So bottom line is that from, from teaching the MIT and as much as he loves it, you know, he is at the head of the SEC. I want to ask you, and I, maybe you could say some, maybe you can't. I understand because you you understand ETF probably better than anybody that's that's you know in the space and, and trying to make things happen. Can you give any sort of um, I guess it's a two part question. Any sort of um, time frame of when you think an ETF could be approved, and then the second part is what do you think? And I guess I'm asking you to look at with the SEC. They want to see to approve it and or reasons they would deny it. As much as you can say, if you can say a lot, a little, I understand. Maybe limited. Let me know. Yeah, I can't comment on like the specific application or the timeline, just this is a, a regulatory matter. So I, I'm not able to do that. However, I'm able to say that, you know, Bitcoin ETF applications uh, have been uh, in place from um, for nine years now. The SEC had more than enough time to study the markets. And I think it makes sense to approve a Bitcoin ETF. There's no good reason why not to approve Bitcoin ETFs and ETPs. So other countries, uh, there's 15 jurisdictions in Europe that have Bitcoin ETPs trading. Uh, there's Brazil, Canada, a lot of other, Australia, other countries have Bitcoin products. Bitcoin is not unusual in that sense. In fact, uh, in my opinion, they're more transparent than many of the commodities markets like gold and oil and physically traded products that are significant, but they have ETPs on it. So my bottom line is there's no good reason why not to approve an ETF uh, in the US. In my opinion, uh, Bitcoin ETFs are held hostage um, for you know political purposes. Uh, they're trying to understand, you know, who regulates what, who regulates the spot platforms. Is it the SEC? Is it the CFTC? 
Um, the CFTC seems to have jurisdiction around Bitcoin, but the SEC has jurisdiction about securitized products and commodities, which is an ETF is a securitized product on Bitcoin, which is a commodity. So again, I know, but so the concerns were custody of the assets. Can this asset be custody? I think that's solved. Are there good pricing sources for an asset? I think that's solved. Um, the third and biggest part is, are the exchanges uh, that are trading Bitcoin prone to market manipulation, are they appropriately surveilled? That is an unanswerable question. Because you can say yes or no. <laughs> uh, right, right. The, like um, Bitcoin trading is more regulated than gold trading. There is uh, multi $10 billion gold products in the market. No one asks a question about it. And Bitcoin suddenly has this higher double standard for approval. So... Again, uh, the hurdles are nonsensical and likely politically motivated. Um, my only um, sort of um, insight that is, you know, potentially important that the regulators want to solve is like who regulates crypto platforms and tokens. I'm assuming once that's more clear, um, then we would find a solution. Now, the only issue with this is we're already, you know, 25th on the line. Uh, we are the largest capital markets in the US and we've been leading. And now we are following from way behind. And that's, I think that's not okay. And that sort of uh, hampers capital formation. And that's not what America is all about. America is also not about one person calling shots. And uh, this seems to, you know, that seems to be how things go these days. And I think that's, uh, again, that's not how this country used to work. That's why, you know, one of the reasons I left Eastern Europe is uh, <laughs> with the hope that processes are more democratic and, and, and more sensible as opposed to, you know, one or a, a few small you know, group of a small group calling shots about matters that, you know, the market disagrees with. And, uh, so I hope that they approve a Bitcoin ETF because um, right now the products in the market that are trading, which I will not name, but some of them have multiple 10, you know, 10 plus billion dollars in assets and they're trading at 30 plus percent discount with no redemption ability, hurting a ton of people. ETFs solve that issue. So um, there's no good reason why not approve one. You know, it's interesting you mentioned gold because, you know, with Bitcoin, we know how many there are. We know we know the wallets. We can see everything. You know, I was told one time that all the gold, that physical gold that exists in the world could fit in an Olympic sized swimming pool. Now, maybe that's accurate. Maybe it's a little more, a little less. But I'm pretty sure if everybody asked for their gold, <laughs> you know what I mean? It wouldn't be there. So, and yet, you know, look at the ETF. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot, lot to do. So, um, yeah. So, so let me ask you, um, I, people that are building the space, I admire that because it's not easy to build. Um, there's no doubt it's not easy to build. We're in a constantly moving environment, right? We know with tech, things change by the day. Points fill out. Um, but following that, you've been doing that. Uh, what is that exactly? If you could explain, I mean, looking yeah. at it, but explain to the audience, what it is exactly and what are your goals for it for adoption? Yeah, so um, you know, Pointsville is a loyalty and rewards platform. Um, uh, Pointsville was born out of frustration that tokens have been launched uh, as pretty much you know selling tokens to get money from other people. I think that's wrong. Uh, tokens have unique benefits for commerce and 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 loyalty and interacting with communities. So like hotel points and uh, uh, airline miles are one example. So uh, what Pointsville does, which is my company, is 
we allow any brand, large and small, be it you know sports teams, we work with Major League Baseball, the Pirates, uh, some other teams as well, and we work with 80 plus companies. Uh, what they're doing is they're issuing their uh, points and they're interacting with their community, but the tokens are not used for trading. Uh, they're not used to raise money. Uh, and they are not used to create the next big internet protocol. We simply represent uh, uh, communities and interact with communities through educational tokens. And uh, again, uh, no trading, um, no pre-sales, no, you're earning points for watching educational videos, you're playing Pokemon Go, you go around and pick up points. And um, and I think that's a much more fair um way to use tokens than some of the uh, protocols out there which claim to innovate but all they do is kind of pre-sell <laughs> assets to, to people so i think there are better ways to use tokens basically uh than what they are today and they're more honest ways to do it um, and um in my opinion brands tokens so larger companies issuing their uh, tokens or farmers issuing their tokens will be a thing so we are making it easy with a platform um, and applications to do that um and again the goal is uh with these tokens um so first um, when basically facebook and twitter and linkedin and some of the big marketing uh platforms and social platforms were introduced um, they got all the revenue they all got the ad revenue. A few years ago, they started to pay their uh, creators. So people create content, you know, they would get uh, some cut from their revenues, but it's still a very small cut, like, you know, 10 to 20% or something um, of their total revenue and they would pocket the rest. So creators started getting paid. So Pointsville is getting ahead of the idea that users also should be paid for their eyeball time. So. We're giving people uh, uh, points uh, for their engagements and then points are redeemable with specific brands that they're engaging with, which in turn cuts out this whole model of you know power should centralize and advertising should centralize as social media companies. So yeah, that's nice. a good story, yeah. That's cool, that's cool. Yeah, that's, I mean, look, building in this space is important and you know, there's no doubt that it's just there's so much to do. And I feel like we have so many minds in here that, that have so much information. So it's like to do something like that and contribute to the ecosystem. I think that's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. Um, so looking ahead with crypto, and this is just a general thing about the crypto space and digital assets. Um, what would you want to see? Let's say five years down the road, whereas like as an example right now, you know, with Bitcoin, it's it's you could pay at some places. Right. But I'm saying overall, it's it's still mm -hmm. be some and when they take cash, some places don't take cash anymore. But what sort of adoption would you like to see for Bitcoin and, and perhaps the cryptocurrency yeah. industry in general in, let's say, four to five years? Yeah, absolutely. So I would uh, a few categories. I think we're going to see adoption in Bitcoin, uh, stable coins and um, golden commodity based tokens. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm betting on the brand space. So um, I think there's going to be adoption there as well. What we are going to see is, uh, you know, Bitcoin, stable coins, gold and brand tokens, they will be available and uh, easily in payment applications. So people will create their private version of tokens. Um, some of them are currencies, some of them are utility tokens, and they'll be just available to pay. Uh, so that'll be one, some more payments adoption too. I think nation states are going to create their own um stable coins and uh, sometimes tokens uh, and sometimes they'll adopt bitcoins but el salvador is one of the examples um el salvador 
uh, has adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. My guess is in the next five years, there'll be multiple countries who do the same because we see double digit inflation, sometimes triple digit inflation in countries and uh, Bitcoin is sort of uh, the antidote to, to that. And so we'll, we'll see more Bitcoin adoption. We also see, again, more dollar adoption in these countries. So USDT and Tether was one example. It's basically an offshore version of the dollar that got adopted by uh, countries that, that had, that, like Turkey, for instance, uh, and Paraguay, Venezuela, South American countries, some Southeast Asian countries that are struggling with high inflation numbers. They wanted access to the dollars. They got access to the dollar through Tether and stablecoins. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin is a good store of value, but the dollar is a great currency as far as currencies go. And so I, I think there's going to be a lot of dollar adoption, actually, uh, internationally um, via stablecoins. So that's interesting to me. And then following up on that, on the stablecoin side, um, some of the countries started like working with um sort of like stablecoin com companies to issue uh, their own, um, you know, um, on uh, local currencies and stablecoins to sort of like offshore, to work offshore commerce, make it easier for people to access it. Uh, and like Mexico is an example. Uh, and I think we're going to see more of that. So countries are going to create um, stablecoins of their own. Um, some of them, again, will use Bitcoin. Some of them will create their stablecoins and, um, and, it's not happening now, but one thing that I think is going to be interesting is uh, we've seen like uh, gold tokens being launched. I think that's going to be something that countries will adopt because gold has been doing well in this downturn. So, um, you know, <laughs> I am a big fan of Bitcoin, but if you're honest, gold hasn't been impacted, hasn't been impacted as much as Bitcoin in this down market and did hold up as a store of value. So. Um, as a you know, digitized version of gold that can travel around like Bitcoin will be considered by people. Because right now for you and I, like if you want to buy gold, like where do we go? Like you go to the, like buy bars or like go to some random. So anyways, that's going to be interesting. Like people seeking new stores of value. And um, I think Bitcoin, gold and the dollar and digitized versions of that are the ones that are going to benefit from um in in the next uh five years do you think you know speaking of that with banks uh you know you look at banks now and they're talking about like at least like in the states uh, having the banks with uh stable coins right and, and doing custody and whatnot <laughs> could you think of getting to a point and this is i guess speculation on this but i mean could you see banks ever uh, doing custody on bitcoin and, and, and then one step further the fdic you know mm -hmm. insurance you know that's kind of crazy to think of right because you know if, if you had the losses and on the day it was this price or that price or whatever i mean it seems like the banking industry which is at one point been over here they've had to embrace this because their clients and their weren't right institutions you know their clients have wanted it so but banks have such strong regulations could you see bitcoin getting onto their balance sheets or onto their onto the books of deposits at some point yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, so pension funds started buying Bitcoin, mostly true funds. Uh, on the banking side, you're correct, they're hyper-regulated. However, I don't know a single top 10 bank uh, in the U.S. that doesn't have uh, a team focusing on digital assets. Yep. And many of them already have partnerships to hold digital assets and create products around them. Um, they're just catching up with the market. They're not innovating necessarily, but I think they're going to offer services over time 
holding Bitcoin and digital assets, um, you know, trading them, prime brokerage and all the services that are available today through regular sort of like securities um, businesses and for equities and bonds. Um, again, they're catching up. I think the innovation that Bitcoin brought to the table is that we actually have a sort of like parallel ecosystem to banking. So if banking fails, uh, we have something else. I think that's important. And value has been accruing there because banks are slow. And uh, so I expect like crypto exchanges to grow. I expect stable coins to grow. I expect work in the digital asset company space to grow. And banks, you know, they may be growing as they're adopting things, but Unfortunately, a lot of banks don't understand this concept of, you know, don't just be a gatekeeper who wants to take a fee on services, but like actually do you support this ecosystem? And if you do, then do something about it. Those that actually support Bitcoin will see returns, in my opinion, but the gatekeepers will not necessarily make it because they're 10 years behind. So it's just my view. I, I agree with you. I mean, the, like the space is constantly changing. Technology is changing. You know, I always say you look at, you know, somebody coming up now, if somebody's, you know, 17, 18, they, they're not going to go into a bank, right? It's going to be online. And it's just, it's the world is changing. And, and obviously cryptocurrency is at the forefront of that. Really believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of us in the space believe that also. It's just interesting to watch the, you know, you go back to JP Moore. You remember five years ago, Jamie Diamond, I'll fire any trader that touches it. And then five years later, institution, the institutional side uh, is sitting there saying, hey, guess what? Uh, we'd love to have you. You know, and you just they've come around, I guess. It, it, but it comes down to the clients, what they want. And, you know, people want to they want exposure yeah. to digital. And there's a lot of money that has been generated uh, in the space. So, like, if you turn away all businesses that are bringing money and and your biggest clients who want to interact with the space, that's just not going to work for the banks as a business model. So you're correct. Like, it's just. It's client demand, it's where the market is, it's where the current zeitgeist or ethos is where we are. So if banks are not embracing it, there will be companies to do. Um, very simple. <laughs> no question, no question. Well, look, I got a couple of personal questions just so people get to know you a little bit better. Um, when it comes to food, what's your favorite food? What's one or two of your favorite foods that you love to eat? Yeah, I I don't know. I eat everything. Like I, I sort of I grew up in Hungary, so I like spicy foods. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I I don't know. I, I kind of eat everything. And uh, <laughs> yeah. okay. And when you're not working, I know you work a lot. I mean, I see you very active all the time. Um, what kind of stuff do you like to do? What sort of hobbies? You like music? What 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 do you like to do? Yeah, I mean, I mostly work. It's uh, unfortunately that's the stereotype about me that I don't really have hobbies uh, that much. But uh, I guess like I uh, I do shoot, so I like um, handguns and I, I do shoot. Uh, so I think that's fun. And uh, when I get some time, I travel a little bit. But that's it. It ends up being work too. So <laughs> yeah. Stuff too, and you know, get some exercise, whatnot. But I think when you're in crypto, like we are, and I think I can speak for everybody that's really passionate about the industry, this kind of becomes your hobby. Like it's not, it's work, but it's not like we enjoy what we do. And I think for a lot of people that found this, you know, as a career, it's like, wow, like I generally enjoy the space. You you either like it a lot or you don't. There's no halfway in the crypto. <laughs> you know what I mean? So because oh, you, yeah. you're phone all hours in the night and the weekends, and even if you're off and you know, listen to music, you're still checking stuff. So it's just kind of the way we live, I suppose. You know, it's but but a blessing in the curse, right? Like 24 7, 365 mark. Um, you know, one of the things one needs to find time to unplug, and um, it is, I think, it's unhealthy to like what most people do is like looking at their portfolios all the time is unhealthy. Um, 
it has, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't talk about money at all. Definitely not talking about money online as a like society, the world really didn't talk. Uh, now everyone talks about money, looks at their portfolios online. And it's a huge, like, it's a huge change. So I think like we probably need to revert to a little bit more of a normal where sure your investments are part of your life. Sure. You know, if you work in the crypto space, that's part of your life, but like there's a world beyond it. And uh, so I think people are in, in sort of the crypto space are just exploring that, that <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and so, so anyways, I think that's, yeah. But it's like anything like when, when the internet came about, I mean, there's only like these certain times in history we had a chance to experience something completely new. And I guess, you know, all of us can do checking it out. So, well, cool. But look, I appreciate you taking the time. It means a lot. Like I said, I know I've been trying to get you on for a while. So thank you for making the time. Um, we're you. On Twitter, what's the best way to contact you, get in touch? How do they find yeah, I'm you? I'm on Twitter, pretty active, as you know. Uh, <laughs> we interact with each other there. And um, yeah, Twitter is best uh, at Gabor Gerbax. Uh so just my name and um, yeah, let me know if I can help with anything. And obviously uh, uh, happy to talk with anyone who is interested in Bitcoin, stable coins, um, brands, tokens or ETPs. Uh, and uh, the companies that I work with are also open to discussions and business. So uh, yeah, let us know and uh, we'll connect you. All right. And the Pointsville app, how do people learn more about that? That's also my Twitter handle. Um, you know that we have also pointsville.com is the the website. And uh, so, if you wanted to create your own brand points or tokens, you can do that on the website. Um, and uh, we'll have some interesting announcements coming up uh, in the next month ish. So um, keep an eye out for that. Okay. And I wanted to ask you about that because when I asked the interview, I didn't ask about pointsville. But let me bring that up too because, like I said, when people are doing products, I love that building things to me in the space. That's what it's about. So. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on the latest episode of the Big Dog Crypto Podcast. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Big Dog Crypto Podcast. Follow on Twitter at WoofBigDog. Woof, big D-A-W-G. And run faster than the competition. Woof, woof.